0: Hi, this is Brian Janikowski. Friday, May twenty fourth. Uh, I'm Christian Thwaites.
1: I'm Emily Takenvertz, and let's get started with this week's market chat. So this week, uh, the Trump administration placed pretty severe restrictions on Huawei. Um, you know, China's kind of trophy tech company, um, and this is seen as just kind of another step um, in the in this trade war. Has this trade war really um, turned into a technology trade war?
0: It's not how it started, but um, I I think that's how it's beginning to end up because uh, they're going to run out of things to put tariffs on. (laughs) So what we import, what the U.S. imports from China is, is a lot of smaller things. And then the big items are these consumer technology goods that we talked about in a recent blog. So, you know, the Mac that we're using for today's podcast, the iPhone that you and I use, the printers, the routers, all these things are made in China. Those haven't been hit yet. And if they do they get hit with a 25% tariff, those will start hitting uh, consumer pocketbooks pretty hard. What we export to the to China is basically machinery, machinery, uh, Aircraft and agricultural goods, and obviously the agricultural goods have already been targeted. the air, The aircraft have, are difficult to move against quickly because they have long order times. So what you're left with is this sort of intellectual property exchange in the tech side. So last week, as you, as you mentioned, uh, you know, I think with the with the restrictions against Huawei, what you get is essentially that operates on an Android operating system. So now Google can't. Or won't provide the sort of latest operating system, so it, so it'll put a lot of the 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 Chinese tech companies, you know, on, on hold or really restrict their ability to grow. So it, now it's a sort of a trade, it's a it's a war of ideas, and I think that's where the technology comes in. And this is this is very inflammatory to China, and obviously, you know, the administration knows it. But it'd be interesting to see how how it develops next.
1: I mean, of course, uh, this whole trade war has been very rough on um, international markets, emerging markets especially. Do you see this continuing um, for years to come?
0: Uh, uh, That's a difficult... I mean, emerging markets have taken quite a hit. Um, The stocks are up mostly for this year, but not as up as much as they fell last year. So, you know, over two years, they're still kind of roughly still ahead, but... Emerging markets were severely beaten down last year, and they they made up maybe half of that gain. And I think yeah, there's a there's a lot of companies which are going to be hitting. I, I kind of looked before we talked here at some of the suppliers to uh, to Huawei. Huawei is a private company, so it's it's not public, but some of its suppliers are. Um, there's BYD and there's uh, um, a, you know glass company which works on their phones, and these stocks are off a lot. And um, it, yeah, it's difficult to see emerging markets coming out of this unscathed. Just because, you know, you could argue that there will be some benefits if China, you know, moves some of its uh, fabrication and manufacturing to a lower cost economy like Vietnam or so to get round the the tariff bans. Um, that could help, but it, I'm not sure it reduces the overall. I don't think it necessarily helps the overall volume of trade, and it would be too transparent. So yeah, it's a lot of it's it's definitely putting people on a very very cautious footing.
1: I mean, we we had this conversation this week around um, international equities and, and their place in a portfolio, and you had mentioned that of you know the last fifteen years or so, you know, international equities only outperformed the U.S. market in probably one year. Um, and so what does that say um, in, in terms of, of where international should be in a portfolio, even with someone with a, a relatively long time yeah. horizon?
0: Yeah, that's uh, it's, I think international emerging have outperformed the U.S. more than for one year. But I think for the entire, I mean, almost 10 years, uh, certainly for the last eight or nine, and maybe even five before that... If, if you know point to point, you'd have been better on having no international exposure. Uh, you'd just been better off in U.S. markets um, because over that period, whatever gains they made were swamped by the by the gains in, in the U.S. And I think that's a combination of um, you know emerging market, sorry, in international markets, particularly Europe, came out of the financial crisis in much worse shape than the US, they, they, they went in harder and they came out slower and in many ways they're still, um, they're still paying for it. And then, um, with emerging markets, I, I think you've got, we've talked about it before, this kind of double whammy of interest rates were very low, they took on a lot of external debt, mm-hmm. not China, but but others are like, like it and around it. That external debt was typically dollars and then as interest rates climbed, they were hit with a higher Debt interest payment, as well as uh, a higher, ex- a higher exchange rate in the form of dollars, so higher repayments. So you know the economy has sort of you know really had a problem, and China has tried to uh, compensate for this by I- increasing domestic demand, but that's a difficult thing to do in a country where it's easy to go out for the government to go out and you know build a new bridge or new airport and create infrastructure. It's much difficult for them to persuade households to go out and spend. They can they can. De- decrease taxes, but taxes are a minimis lever that you can pull in somewhere like China. They can sort of make credit more easily, they can make housing more affordable, but it's still a very difficult thing to push mm-hmm. in an economy which isn't consumer led. So yeah, uh, I, I think I think um, there's still an overhang on international and emerging markets for a. US investor and, and the trade side you know just simply doesn't help it. Um, there isn't enough, I don't think, in a lot of these emerging market countries. Companies maybe a little bit in in, in India to, to look at their that's kind of domestic economies as a, as appealing in and of themselves.
1: So, do you see that trend continuing? Uh,
0: <laughs> that's a that's a difficult question. Well, um, at some point, you know, the, the the markets get cheap, so you could mm-hmm. say, okay, well, at some point, I, I I'm willing to buy this at a P of five or six as opposed to fifteen. Um, and, and then that could be a good investment, but yeah, I think we're st- we're definitely still under a cloud with mm. international and emerging markets. And the strength of the dollar, the dollar has been incredibly strong this year. You remember in twenty seventeen, we were all talking about, including us, about a weaker dollar. Uh, well, that started to reverse last year and has gone into you know acceleration this year. So you know, it's helping our ability to pay for imports, but it's making uh, you know, it's it's. It's, it's definitely hurt uh, an overseas investor because it, um, because the dollar strength has eroded some of the foreign exchange gains. Mm-hmm.
1: Sticking with international, um, this morning we learned that Prime Minister May has resigned, um, I think effective the first week of June, or, or, or sometime in June. Does this uh, make the possibility, or does this increase the possibility, uh, or reduce the possibility of a hard Brexit?
0: um <laughs> I don't think it does it doesn't change it because at the moment we don't know look she's been sniped at from the side by every quarter and most most of her opposition has has been this is too too soft a deal it's almost like being being out of the EU normally but being in the EU from a de facto perspective and then the opposition, Really, is is really not clear what the Labour Party wants, but they seem to sort of not be willing to go along with it. So, it probably increases slightly the the risks uh, of of a hard exit, and that's obviously not good. And we've seen it in Sterling. Sterling's been yo-yoing around this year. But Sterling, at the time of Brexit, two and a half years ago, was about one fifty-five to the to the dollar. Today, last week, it it hit one twenty-seven. So that's a massive. You know, de, uh, depreciation of a of a major traded currency, and stocks have been pretty awful in local in local currency terms. They've done not not bad, but not nearly as well as other markets. And in to a dollar investor, they've been another five percent worse because of the trans- and I I just can't see that there's uh, that there's a good ending in sight for the UK at least until this October deadline comes round and shifting the players at this point um, might accelerate things a little bit. There might be a, you know, a, a rally around a new prime minister to actually vote something through because she's just had so many enemies. She hasn't been able to get anything done. Um, but boy, I, 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 as you know, we, we kind of came out of the UK as an investor two and a half years ago and, uh, and haven't been back. And, um, you know for now i don't really see the reason to go back
1: i mean this uncertainty can't be good for the british economy in terms of of investment and
0: yeah um, uh, well some parts of the economy are doing quite well funny because because being a, a much more export oriented country a weak a weak currency has helped so that's i think camouflage some of the difficulties a little bit. you know unemployment is low same issue here, though. I mean, there's a lot of people not in great-paying jobs, and you know, inflation's pretty low, uh, so it's been sort of m- rumbling along. But it, it hasn't been the unmitigated disaster. But I think, uh, and I don't necessarily see it as being an unmitigated disaster. What I see, what I see, the sort of coming out of Brexit, especially if it's a hard one, is a kind of a slow deterioration of competitiveness over many years. Mm-hmm. That's that. I think is mm-hmm. what people should be doing their utmost to avoid and I think that's what scares most sort of economists and long term investors but it, you know for those that want to do a hard brexit they're saying look now nothing calamitous has happened we're still here we've still got you know modest gdp growth you know we've un- unemployment at 4% high you know so we're so they're almost holding that out as an excuse that that brexit's okay but i think the long term effects will be far more deleterious
1: mm-hmm. Let's turn to uh, to the domestic mar- market. You wrote about transportation uh, this week, and I'm wondering if you could explain to us, um, you know, what ch- watching transportation tells us about the economy, and then what you wrote about t- uh, this week, which is um, what is transportation doing?
0: Yeah, uh, well, it, the Dow Jones Transportation Index is is not as well known as the industrial index. Twenty stocks, and it's the same calculated in the same way. It's price weighted, not market cap weighted. And it has companies basically that either move people or things. So you've got the airlines are in there, Avis, I think, budget, you know, the, the car hire company. But the ones I find interesting are the guys that, you know, CSX moves rail. Kirby, if you live in the Midwest, you've probably seen a Kirby barge, you know, move down the Mississippi. Uh, JB Hunt, if you're ever out on any interstate highway, the chances are you'll, you'll see a JB Hunt truck uh, pretty pretty quickly. Uh, and FedEx, which is more, you know, air freight, UPS, same thing. Um, So what happens with these companies is that, you know, they've got big, they're big infrastructure plays, and they've got high costs, you know, whether it's fuel costs or personnel costs or maintenance costs, and really they're dependent on volume and price. So when, you know, when the economy is booming, people want to move goods and things around the U.S. quickly and as efficiently as they can, and then uh, and then that all kind of goes into reverse. So I kind of look at, I look at it as, you know, what's happening there? And you try to get these kind of early signals. And we've looked at the air freight traffic coming out of Memphis. Memphis is the headquarters of FedEx. So that's where a lot of air freight... Actually, that's where your iPhone comes from. If you go on the Apple site and buy an iPhone and it says, here's your iPhone, and it's somewhere in like Chengdu, China, and you can track it for the next four days chances are for a good 36 hours it's sitting on a fedex uh, container somewhere um, anyway so that's they're there and the traffic is down the los angeles ports uh, you know in, in out, outbound uh, uh, freights and units and carriers are all flat so yeah it's sort of, i think it's i think it's telling us that like we've said recently the economy is sort of post peak it's not recession, but it's post-peak, and activity is sort of, you know, just just slowly uh, easing off a little bit. And I think the transportation index has been loud and clear on this, and saying look, we're not we're not really seeing any kind of big, robust, uh, you know, traffic volumes, price increases, all mm-hmm. of which would make those stocks really sore. So um, I think it's in line with other data that we've seen. Mm-hmm. You know, we as you know, we've been on this recession watch for a, for a, for a last month or so, looking at. You know good recession leading indicators like you know housing like jobless claims like manufacturing orders durable goods and, all. and they've all shown this sort of slight decline as opposed to an out-and-out recession but you know got to be careful because it wouldn't take much to knock it into recession.
1: That's an interesting point though because you're talking about these leading indicators and do you find that um if the lead, if the leading, if there's a, a sharp downturn in those indicators, does it then predict uh, the the extre- the extremeness of the recession?
0: Or uh, if it's just
1: slightly kind of declining, does that then point to a more kind of less severe recession when it does uh, come along?
0: I don't think so. Uh, I, I think it's difficult. The thing, the thing that I would look for as to whether it's going to be a shallow recession, sort of, uh, you know, like um, 1996 or whatever it was, you know, whenever we had that one, um, 91, sorry, um, versus a heavier one like 2009, is to look at what, you know, what leverage is going on. Mm. And you know because leverage is really the, the the sort of death knell to an e- economic expansion because then then people have borrowed they've got assets against it whether it's houses or stocks or uh you know other um you know other sort of real ownership of things mm-hmm. and uh, and if those go into reverse then the economy kind of quickly spirals down we haven't seen a lot of leverage i know people disagree with that observation but i i see the leverage in not so much in mortgages. Um, auto loans, yes, but that's a different type of animal. I don't see that as being, you know, A as big and B as, as non recourseable as mortgages. Mm-hmm. And um, and student loans. But I think student loans are more about slow household formation rather than people going bust and not being able mm-hmm. to pay their student loans. Mm-hmm. They are government guaranteed anyway. So, yeah, so we haven't seen a lot of that. And I think that tells me that the recession would be more mild mm-hmm. uh, than, than severe. Mind you, none of us predicted the severity of the 06, 07 one. In hindsight, we should have seen more of the warning signals, but that was a, you know a kind of a highly-leveraged real estate play. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you very much, Christian. Thanks to you for listening.
0: Thanks, everybody. And uh, just to get to our disclosure, please note the discussion of our investment investment strategy, including our research investment process, represents our investment investment strategy at data's country, subject to change without notice. We cannot assure that the type of investment discussed in this commentary will outperform any other investment strategy in the future, nor can we guarantee that such investments will present the best or attractive risk-adjusted investment in the future. This is for general informational purposes only. If references to an individual security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell that security. The securities mentioned in this commentary are only several of the successful and unsuccessful investments by us. Do not represent all the securities we have purchased or the recommended. Although we deem reliable source of statistical and other information referred to in this commentary, we cannot guarantee the results or completeness of any statements or numerical data, past performance, and indication of future results.